Okay, now back in next on the tee with me is 1978 PGA champion John Mahaffey. Let me remind you about John's background. He's from Kerrville, Texas, played his college golf at the University of Houston, where he was named a first-team All-American in 1969 and 70. John won the individual title at the 1970 National Championship, and he helped the Cougars to -to back-to-back national championships in those two years of 69 and 70. He earned his degree in psychology and was inducted into their Athletics Hall of Honor in 1976. John turned pro in 1971. He went 10 times out on the PGA Tour, including that 78 PGA Championships, when he came from seven strokes back with 14 holes to play to win in a playoff. He also won the 1986 Players Championship. He won once on the Champions Tour. He was a member of the 1979 Ryder Cup team. In 1983, he was inducted into the Texas Golf Hall of Fame. He's written two wonderful books. The first is titled Hogan's Boy, A Journey in Golf. Plus, he's written a mystery novel titled Shafted. You can get both of them out on Amazon.com. And like I said a few moments ago, John has become a wonderful friend of the show, and I'm very excited he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, John, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Chris. So great to be back with you. Man, we always have a lot of fun to love. I love your show, man. I appreciate you, John. Thank you, sir. So, my friend, it's been a minute since we got to have you as part of this show. Catch us up. What's been going on with you so far here in 22? Well, I'm I'm really busy writing. I'm having a great time doing this. It's a party for me in, in one way. Uh, you know, I get a lot of frustration out. But uh, after after writing the book and, and getting uh, Hogan's Plot in uh, 2015, uh, Shafted, came out in uh, 2021, and I've got a new book uh, at the editors right now. We're looking to get it out uh, by September of this year called Unfinished Business, and uh, it's a continuation of the, of the series. It's the, about a family, uh, the McCall family that grew up in Texas and uh, created a lot of uh, a lot of stir on the golf tour. Uh, the boy, uh, Trey did, my, my hero, and uh, goes through a lot of different things, and uh uh, unfinished business is, is uh, a continuation of that. And then I've got Dead Quiet coming up after that, then Exoneration, and then Restitution. So I'm busy. <laughs> there you are. And you were telling me prior to the show that your books are going to be available out there on, in audio as well here soon? Well, Shaft it is right now. And I plan on Unfinished Business and the rest of them as well. Uh, it's it's not as easy to write as people think it is. You, you end up rewriting the book about five or six times, and then when you get the edit back, and they say, "Wait a minute, we, you know, you need to start doing this." Then you go write write another edition of it and another manuscript. So it's a time consuming thing, but it's so worthwhile when you see the finished product. John, I want to get your thoughts on the Open Championship. We're just a little over a week north of this year's tournament. What's your thoughts about what you saw from Cam Smith and? Whether he ruined Rory's parade or not is, is, is a good question, but get, he gets his first champion, major championship, and it was a heck of a tournament. I think it was a terrific tournament. I look at this kid, and I saw how he, he putted it uh, every time, every round, I guess, he's played. Uh, for quite a while, he's putted great, but at the TPC when he won the Players' Championship, and then to, he's like Ben Crenshaw on steroids. I mean, it's the most incredible thing I've ever seen in my life. He's the best putter I've ever seen. They, Bobby Locke was great. I never met him, uh, and he was a fabulous putter. But if he was any better than this guy, that would be amazing. And John, we're used to seeing Open Championships played in all kinds of bad weather. Typically, what they say at, at an Open Championship, you you may see all four seasons 
and during a given round, this time pretty benign condition. And the guys go out there. Cam Smith wins at, at, at 20 under. Um, guys shooting way under par. We're, we're seeing guys driving the par fours and that sort of thing. Is that, is that good? Are we, is that just sort of something that we need to say, okay, they went out, they played, they shot way under par. They were driving the par fours, all that sort of stuff. But it was St. Andrews. It was an open championship. There was no weather. It is what it is. Or does the RNA really have to start thinking about what they're going to do to protect St. Andrews the next time it comes back around in the Rota? Well, I think it's just it is what it is. I mean, the weather's a crapshoot over there. We all know that. And they got lucky to have, you know, four rounds where it really wasn't too bad. And the golf course was hard and fast. Uh, you know, and the guys could just take advantage of it. The guys hit the ball so far anyway, you know, right now. It's, it's incredible. So it's, uh, you start driving par fours and stuff. And, and I'll tell you what. Uh, when Cam Smith made a, made part 17, all right, the road hole, I mean, that was the most incredible par four I've ever seen in my life, almost, on that hole. Other than if somebody made a, bounced it off the, the wall or something like that on the road hole. But, uh, you know, that that's almost an unmakeable putt. He, he drilled it dead center. John, you played in, I believe, four open championships. Unfortunately, I don't think any of those were at St. Andrews. But talk about your experiences being a part of an open championship. Well, the first Open Championship, uh, Tom Watson and I went over uh, to play Carnoustie and uh, went over a little bit early. Hubert Green was with us as well. And um, it, it was it was an incredible experience. I didn't understand. We had really good weather at Carnoustie, which is unusual there, too, until the final day. I couldn't understand why they had some bunkers where they had them because they were so easy to fly. Not so much when the wind came. It was <laughs> it became a, a brutal test. And, uh, you know, Tom Watson beat Jack Newton in a playoff. And, it was actually the first. I finished tenth, so I played pretty well. I had a good run at the Open that year, at uh, the U.S. Open that is, at Medina, and uh, lost in a playoff to Lou Graham. So my game was strong. And uh, Dave Marr at uh, ABC Sports uh, asked me to to be a a, a walking uh, commentator for that for that playoff, which was my first introduction into television. And I thought that was really gracious of him, a fellow Texan and and a good friend. Who I met through Jackie Burks, Jimmy Numerit, and Hogan at Champions. So, you know, it was it was a great week for me. Uh, unfortunately, that was the best I finished in, in in the Open Championship. The others I didn't fare very well. Uh, several of them I don't think I made the cut. Uh, it was it, it was a different game for me over there. I'm not not a particularly good cold weather player, and that's not an excuse. It's just a fact. And uh, I never did fare very well in that kind of situation. Uh, other players seem to thrive on it. And John, as you alluded to a moment ago, did you get into a tournament over there where the weather was just crazy with the winds howling and the rain and the sideways rain and all that sort of stuff that we're used to seeing? All right. Here, <laughs> I hate to admit this. My my last official event that I think I played on, on the, the senior tour was the senior uh, open championship in Muirfield. And uh, it was raining sideways. And the first day, and I was having trouble, uh, I had some hip issues at that time and it was cold and it was blowing sideways, the wind was coming in and going sideways, the rain was coming down so hard and it, it was freezing for me. I had on everything I could wear and I shot 93. Wow. And I could, yeah, I know. And I, and the guys, you know, I'm sitting in the, in, in the tent, in the scoring tent and I'm thinking, you know, guys, you know, and the weather was supposed to be worse the next day. And I said, yeah, I, I can't do this, guys. I'm not going to come out here and shoot 100. You know, I mean, 
Uh, so I went through from the tournament, just uh, basically out of embarrassment. I hate to admit that, but it was just, uh, I, I, I couldn't, uh, and, and I was having issues with my hip, really bad issues, which I got them replaced shortly thereafter, uh, a bilateral hip replacement. So I had a legitimate excuse. It's just that, uh, that 93 was a little stinging. <laughs> John, let's switch gears a little bit. I, and I, the sport is all a buzz about live golf and the PGA tour versus live <laughs> golf and players going over and playing on, on live now and you know, being suspended from the PGA tour permanently and guys withdrawing from the PGA tour and that sort of thing. If this thing had come about, I don't know, 36 years ago or so when, when John Mahaffey is hoisting up the players championship trophy and Greg Norman had showed up with a, a large check for you, how would that have turned out? I, I think I'm too much of a traditionalist, Chris. I, uh, I was lucky enough. The people that I grew up around when I when I started playing on the professional side of golf were incredible. When I got to work with Jackie Burke and Jimmy Demarin at Champions, met Hogan through Demarin became uh, he was my mentor for almost twenty years. Uh, the A Bear brothers came there all the time. The both PGA champions met Dave Moore there. Uh, Don January was a good friend of mine. So I was surrounded by people that won major championships and had a had a, a terrific respect for the game of golf and, and, you know, and its history and its tra- tradition. And, uh, you know, the, the tour was, was fabulous to me. It really was. Uh, and I felt like that I was fortunate enough to be able to give back to it. And I was on, uh, two policy boards back to back to, uh, three year terms, uh, in the eighties, uh, when we uh, were able to come up with a deferred compensation, what we call our pension fund, uh, fund which is one of the best in, in sports. And the other was uh, when we came up with the TC, PPC concept that, that Dean Beeman had, and, uh, where we wouldn't have to rent golf courses and spend money there. To, we'd have a, 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 something that would actually make money for us and we could put in a, a reserve so that we could actually increase the purses. So, I mean, we were proactive a lot more back then, I think. And, John, we're hearing more names come out, it seems like, every week. There's a couple of more players moving across and, and that sort of thing. If if that were to continue to happen, once we get north of the FedEx Cup Championship and we see more and more guys signing up for this thing, if you're Jay Monahan, what do you do from there? Where 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 does this thing go? I don't know. We're looking at a battle of egos right now, I think, between Norman and, and Monahan. You know, and so I don't. I really don't know. I, I can't believe they didn't see this coming. I mean, uh, Greg Norman's been throwing this for three decades. You know, he, he's been trying to, to, to eke into this, and, and now he's got some some huge backing. And uh, you know, they're making a run at. It. Uh, it, it's I don't I don't know where it's going from here. I think we have to wait and see. Uh, the PGA Tour, as I say, with its history and tradition and respect for the game, and and the PGA Tour made all of us. I mean, you know, the thing is, the the game of golf doesn't owe us anybody anything i mean but you know the ones of us that that play the game at the highest level we owe the game everything and that's the way i look at it so you know i have respect for the game i have respect for the tour that allowed me to make a name for myself and do what i wanted to do and, and what i i love to do for a living um so i really i don't i don't know that that money's as important to me as as all the other things are are the are the other values that that the, the tour suggests? You know, are you seeing anything that 
that Live Golf is doing that you you say, well, you know what, that's a pretty good idea, or that's a, a great thing to do, and boy, I sure wish the PGA Tour might steal that idea. Is there anything good that you're seeing from over there that you'd like to see Monaghan import into the PGA Tour? I'm not as up to date on that as I probably should should be, uh, but <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> You know, that's, that's, we could increase some purses or whatever, something like which they already did. You know, uh, yeah. the, the tour did, and it has some different kinds of formats at the end. But you know, basically, this whole game of golf. I mean, we we played under this the same rules and formats for 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 a hell of a long time. By you know, that were agreed upon by the governing bodies of the game. So, you know, my goodness, uh, all this other. Uh, it's, it's, it's just a, t- it's so totally different than anything I think we've seen. And I'm not going to say it's not going to work. I don't know. You know, it's, it's up to what time will tell. John, you mentioned a, a minute ago about giving back to the game. You and Dottie Pepper not only made a great team broadcasting tournaments, you also do a great job giving back to the game among many other places. I'm sure you've helped kids at the St. John's. Clinic Classic up at Anderson Country Club. I was reading an article about that a few days back. Talk about why giving back and doing more for the game and helping kids is so important to you. Well, that's what the game is all about. A charitable contribution from the PGA Tour in the billions, all right? And they we have more money to charities and, and help people in more communities than any other sport. Or all, for all the sports put together. I mean, that's part of the deal. We are so fortunate. I, I touched on this, but to be able to do what we do for a living and, and have been healthy most of us, most of our careers, you know, and, and to have lived our dream. All right. A lot of these children, they need the opportunity to live their dream. And, and it's important that we, we support these, these institutions that help people. And that's what the tour is all about. It's about giving back. It's, a, you know, the thing about, I mean, in my opinion, there's a huge difference between using the game to, to feather your own bed or growing the game, by, you know, by sharing your experience or actually benefiting golfers and, and even making it more enjoyable for them to play. i tell you a great example is Lee Trevino. You know, all the things you see on social media with his little tips and quips and all that kind of stuff, that's great stuff. And he's helping people, you know. He's not uh, uh, he's not making a fortune doing that. I don't know. I don't know if he's paid to do it. I and in a lot of cases, I doubt it. But he loved, that's what we did. We love the game so much, we want to give it back. We want to help people be better players. We want to help people enjoy the game of golf and actually be able to relate to, relate to us as human beings giving back. And, John, as you mentioned, Lee Trevino, he's a guy who seems like is putting on a golf clinic every day of his life. Wherever he's around, he's talking golf to them, and he certainly did from the videos that I saw of him up at the Open Championship a few weeks ago. I imagine you guys have been around each other a lot over the years. Talk about what it's like being around Lee Trevino. Lee Trevino helped me more than more than anybody else before I met Hogan. I'll put it that way. Uh, Lee Trevino, I played with him in the uh, 1970 U.S. Open at Hazeltine. I was an amateur, and I played with him in the last round. And uh, as we're walking up the, the final hole, the 72nd hole, he says, he looks up the scoreboard. He says, "Hey, he doesn't remember anybody's name. He didn't know my name was John, Jack, or whatever. He knows, hey, you know, hey, pro, or hey, you, or whatever." But he says, "Hey, he says, you know, uh, if you par this hole, or if you birdie this hole, you're low amateur for the U.S. Open on your own. If you par it, you tie a crunch job. 
Yeah, I'm not trying to put pressure on it, just letting you know, because he hadn't been looking at the scoreboard. I mean, he's observing about everything, right? So I end up making par, tying Crenshaw for low amateur. So we're we're sitting in the scoring tent, and uh, Lee goes, hey, uh, are you thinking about turning pro? And I said, well, uh, yeah, I, I kind of am. I said, you know, I, I've had a pretty good run at the University of Houston and stuff. But, uh, and this, the U.S. Open was right before the NCAA at Ohio State, my, my final one in 1970. So Lee says, uh, but if you're going to turn pro, that little duck hook you got, you got running, you know, out there and stuff. He says, that's not going to work. You're not going to make a lot of money, especially in major championships. He said, your short game's fabulous. You get it up and down in the garbage can. That ain't going to last forever. He said, let me show you something. When you get it after your little, uh, after the guys in the gray jackets and the ties and stuff give you your little trophy, he says, I want you to come over to the practice team. I want to show you something. He took the time after the U.S. Open to take an amateur over to the practice team and teach me how to hit a fade, which I used in the NCAA the very next week to beat Lanny Watkins, by the way, by a shot. Wow. So, so I mean, you know, and, and all through my career, Vino was there with some help. I, I lost a, a tournament of champions one time to Johnny Miller because on the final hole, I hit a, my second shot and it actually rolled up against the fringe. I didn't know about the bladed wedge, I, I, you know, uh, or, or a three wood or whatever. So I tried to putt it. Uh, obviously hit it a little fat, left 10 feet short, missed the putt, and Johnny Miller won. Trevino's waiting for me outside of the scoring 10 again with three golf balls and a sand wet. He took me up to the putting green, showed me how to do that. These are people that gave back, that have been given back to the game forever. I mean, this guy dug it out of the dirt. He figured out how to play and then <laughs> awfully well, but wasn't afraid to share it if he knew that you, you had aspirations to, to go where he'd been. Okay. John, you talk about going to the practice team. I want to take you back to your victory at the PGA Championship in 78 because you opened the tournament shooting 75. But you didn't go back to the hotel and sulk or whatever. Think about that. You might have blown your chance to win that golf tournament. You go back to the practice range and you practice until dark until you found something. What'd you find? It was an alignment issue, partly. Uh, I was aiming too far to the right and, uh, I, I would, wouldn't let my body clear enough. I couldn't get, I was blocking myself out. So I was losing power and distance. And, um, and I played horrible all year. I'd only made like $10,000 up to that point. And coming back from an injury the year before, you know, and, uh, and Oakmont's brutal. It's a hard golf course, but on the, all of a sudden I started just hitting it dead solid and solid. And, you know, and you hate to say it because I've learned this years before that. When you say, I think I've got it, you've lost it because it'll, it won't, <laughs> it, it'll lose and it, and it goes away. You know, it's, it's like karma says, see, you. and, uh, anyway, so I, 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 I thought, you know, if I can just take this to the golf course. For three more days. First of all, I got to see if I can make the cut with it, which I did. Uh, I played, and then I had three rounds in the sixties, my last three rounds in the 66 on Sunday and uh, was able to catch Tom Watson, who didn't have a terrible round, but had some unfortunate things happen on the back nine. And, uh, you know, I ended up winning in the playoff. Uh, but it was, uh, it was magical for me that, that the last three rounds at, at, at Oakland, uh, I don't think I, the whole week, I don't think I ever hit it in, a, in a, one of the, the church bee bunkers. So. That's a pretty good, pretty good deal. I was hitting it okay, but I wasn't hitting it good enough. I mean, 75 is horrible, right? To begin with. And then after that, to back it up with three rounds in the sixties, I did find something. Yeah. And talking about magical and that final round, obviously we talked about how 
You come back, you're, you're seven strokes down with 14 to play. You're five strokes back with nine to play after Watson Eagles number nine. You go to 10 and you make a 60 foot putt that probably broke that much too. Talk about that putt. And was that kind of the moment that you thought, you know what? Hey, I still got a shot at this thing. Well, when I made it, Tom Watson made a double boat. So that was a three shot swing. So he got caught up in the rough and it stayed in the rough. And then he just, you know, he kind of made a mess of it. And uh, I hit it on the on the front right of the green, and the pin was in the back left, and the green's got a lot of slope in it right to left. And I played this thing up by the fringe, and I'm like you said, it probably had a 60 feet of break. And you know, it's just one of those things you're not going to make that putt one in a million. And I mean, it just went in, it just dropped in because uh, those greens were still so quick. We had rain that week, but they're the fastest greens I've ever played in my life. And uh, and I putted well. In fact, I, I took uh, little known fact. I took my mother's putter. She had an 8802 that she cut down. I cut down for her, and it was really, really light. And I hadn't putted well all year, so I thought, what the heck, we'll give it a shot. And I putted beautifully that week. And then went on the next week playing slow greens up in Massachusetts and beat Raymond Floyd by two shots to win back-to-back tournament. So, you know, I did find something on the, on the uh, practice range, and I found something on the putting green as well. And, John, for those of us, 99.99% of us are never going to know what it's like to win a major championship. But when you get into that three-way playoff with Watson and Jerry Pate, you win it with about a 20-footer on the second playoff hole, and you knew it was in when it was about two feet from the hole. Fans rush to green. You practically jump in your caddy's arms. For those of us that want to live vicariously and know what it's like, what were those few seconds like for you? It was like the weight of the well, the weight of the world is off my shoulders. I'd lost the U.S. Open in 1975. I lost another U.S. Open in 1976. So, you know, and here I have another chance. And uh, and I was lucky to get in the playoffs. Jerry Pate missed a short putt at the last hole. He kind of horseshoed on him, and he missed it and allowed Watson and I to get in the playoffs. No, part 18. So we go to the first hole. We, we all make pars. And they hit irons off the tee at number two. And I thought, well, okay, this is one of the shorter holes at, at Oakmont, but it's pretty tight. Little water, a uh, little creek up the left side. I'm going to hit a three wood at that creek and cut it off the creek. And that'll leave me a shorter iron in there. And I can hit an eight or nine iron where they're hitting a longer club into the green. And Pate missed the green. Uh, and he makes bogey. Watson hits it on the front. Now he's got to come up over a huge mound and everything else. If he doesn't get hit hard enough, it's going to come back to him. If it hits too hard, it's going to might roll off the other side of the green. So he makes. He hits a decent putt, but he's still, uh, he's inside my putt, but he's not, uh, it's no gimme by any means. So I only had about an eight or nine, about a 12 footer, I guess, for, for birdie from the left side. And it's probably one of the quickest putts, putts you'd ever have. Uh, it broke left to right slightly. And I just touched the thing and I put it right on the line, right on the spot that I thought, that I thought it would break and it never wavered and it went right in the middle. And I did know about, about a foot from the hole that that was dead center. And it took every, all the frustration, all the, all the nightmares, although you still get, I don't care. <laughs> you still come back about some of the ones you might <laughs> get away, but, uh, it, they were all gone. And now finally, finally, you know, and, and the one thing that, that was sort of the icing on the cake was the fact when Watson came up to me, we were really good. We've had been for a long time and he put his arm around me. He says, well, JD, uh, my middle name's Drake. So JD, he said, JD, you finally got one you deserve. He says, you know, uh, I didn't give it to you. You won. And he said, well done. 
So I think that's pretty cool. Wow. That is pretty cool. Mr. Hogan was still alive at that time. In fact, it was just a week after his 66th birthday. Did you hear from him after the tournament? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He said, that's one. <laughs> you know? So uh, he was counting. He kept he kept up with me, uh, which was, was fantastic. He was he was a wonderful man. He did so much for me in so many ways. Uh, opened a lot of doors. And uh, just the fact that... that uh, that I had him as a friend and, and, and as a mentor, uh, it, 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 it was like getting instant respect from the rest of the players on the tour. And that's what we're all after anyway, I think, is to get the respect of your tour, uh, of your uh, peers out there. Because, I mean, you know, these guys down, finally, you know, first of all, when you win a tournament, you feel like, okay, uh, I'll be remembered somewhat in the game. You win a major, you'll never be forgotten. You know, so that, that's that's a wonderful, wonderful feeling because it feels like all feels like all that hard work has really paid off. John, before I let you go, remind our listeners again: how can they get a copy of your book and then follow you online and on social media? Well, you can go to johnmahaffeyauthor.com, and it has everything there you need to see. You can order the book right off of that. John, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. It's always a treat to get to spend time with you. I hope I get the privilege of doing it again real soon. Oh, anytime. You know it. I love this. This is a lot of fun. You're great. <laughs> I appreciate you, John. You're fantastic, my friend. All the best to you and your family. Look forward to catching up with you again soon. Okay. Say how to sound for me. I will do it. Take care, John. All right. Thanks. That is the great John Mahaffey. JohnMahaffeyBook.com is the website. The books are fantastic, folks. you got to get your hands on both of those. And now we know that there's a second book. There's an audio book. There's a fourth uh, fourth book. It seems like it's, uh, you know, the series is just going to go on and on, which is good news for all of us that love reading about the game of golf. And then you, you kind of tie in a mystery novel in there and get to have a series of that stuff written by John Mahaffey. Doesn't get any better than that, folks. So make sure you take a look at his website. Uh, he's on Twitter, at Hogan's Boy. You can follow him there as well. And uh, just a wonderful human being. I can't thank John enough for his time. And I'm already looking forward to the next time.